Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Airing It Out podcast, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber. Seated to my right is Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? It's a relief, John. I mean, we're finally in football season, which I don't know about you. I wait for this all year. But, you know, I got to say, I kind of wish it was week three by now. So if you could wake me up, like after Idaho and Buffalo, uh, that would definitely be preferable at this point. Yeah, I don't think you're alone on that one. Uh, you start to look at these week one and two schedules. And even, you know, we usually get that Alabama kickoff game that's good. And this year it is Duke. So, yeah, there's that one for everybody. Uh, and first off, our apologies on the lack of intro music. We're hoping to have that for you here soon. But right now, still a work in progress. You know, uh, I guess that comes with the first time we're doing this, you know, and uh, it's going to be part of it moving forward, though. Uh, anyways, let's, you know, time to dive in here. Uh, not going to mess around uh, with a lot of small talk. Looking at Penn State's season uh, th- this coming year, and, you know, it's it's going to be an odd year for them. They're a really talented team, but there's not a lot of experience here. So what are your expectations going into the season? Well, I think this might be the hardest team in the Big Ten to figure out. I feel like Penn State, Nebraska, Minnesota, it, it's really hard to pinpoint. I mean, at Penn State, I think I've seen just as many articles about how Penn State is the most underrated team in the country as I have they are incredibly overrated. And really it all comes down to how you treat the question marks. I mean, you go through Sean Clifford, you know, he has thrown seven career passes. If you're really high on him, like pro football focus has him as the number 31 QB, then you're going to think Penn state does well. If you think, Oh, you know, he's a beginner. Ricky Ronnie isn't exactly the QB whisperer. Then you're probably thinking Penn state's offense, not going to be great. And, and it just goes, you know, down like that, uh, you know, wide receiver really struggled last year. Are they going to be able to bounce back? Offensive line, you know, they lost two players to the NFL. How are they going to look? You know, with, with no Miles Sanders, will they be okay? Defense is going to be great. I think everyone agrees this is going to be an amazing defense. So, you know, kind of a long answer to a short question. But I, I, for me, I think there are three reasons why Penn State is going to finish around eight and four. You know, I, I wobble between eight and four and nine and three. And I go with eight for, for three reasons. Reason one, and the biggest one, is Ricky Ron. I, I don't think he's proved himself yet. I think heading into last season, uh, I think he, uh, he kind of got some undue credit there just for being around Joe Moorhead. And, and I just I, I think we can point to a couple of things, fourth and five, that you know he could have done better last season. I mean, he was essentially taking Joe Moorhead's offense and uh, – well, that was it. You know, I didn't really see a, a, a Ricky Ronnie point to it. Uh, you know, the other thing is just, uh, you know, Sean Clifford is going to be a step down from Trace McSorley. I like Sean Clifford. He's a leader. He's a good player. Um, you know, we saw last Wednesday he threw this great 25-yard pass to K.J. Hamler, perfect spiral between two defenders right in the end zone. I mean, the kid can play. But Trace McSorley is arguably the best quarterback in Penn State history. He's got, when you lose the best player in history, it's going to be a step down. Even if he's great, he won't be elite. So I, I like him a lot, but, but I think that goes down a notch. And then, you know, the third thing is just Penn State's opponents. And in the past, if you'd look at this schedule, you'd think, ah, you know, this is a win, this is a win, this is a win. That's not necessarily the case this year. I mean, absolutely, they're going to go 2-0. They're going to beat Rutgers, who – Shouldn't even be in the Big Ten. Uh, God, they're an embarrassment. <laughs> Whenever we mention Rutgers, I feel like I need to mention that. Feels like we should just bleep uh, it out when we say it from now on. <laughs> that I, I like that idea. <laughs> People should not have to hear that. Uh, the school who cannot be named. Uh, 
And, and then outside of that, but like Purdue, Purdue all of a sudden, I mean, they beat the hell out of Ohio State last year. I mean, you don't know what they're going to do, you know, this season. They're going to be good. They're going to be dangerous. And I think the same thing goes for, for Minnesota, which is also on Penn State's schedule this year. These are good teams that, you know, five, ten years ago would have been automatic Ws. That's not the case anymore. Yeah, and I, I think you bring up some some fantastic points there. And, you know, let's sort of go through those and break those down. Uh, and, and I think the first place to start is is an obvious one. You mentioned it right off the bat, and that's Sean Clifford. We really don't know what to expect this year. I mean, we've seen him in practice a little bit. We've seen him take, or uh, you know, complete five passes on seven attempts last year. So. They were a great five passes. Yes, fantastic five passes. But at the end of the day, they're five completed passes, you know. And, and it's tough to tell what you're going to get on a consistent basis from someone like that. Uh, I definitely agree he's going to be a step down from McSorley. I don't think there's any question there. The athleticism, it's – He's a good athlete. He's not Trace. Uh, another step down there. Yeah, he's, that's what's going to be different, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking, I mean, uh, Clifford might have the stronger arm already at this point. Uh, it's, the, it's the mobility. And, you know, it, it, it's weird to me, John, because you have Penn State. I feel like we've kind of heard it from, from both ends. You know, James Franklin saying that, well, he's probably not going to run as much. So, uh, you know, we need to have him maybe – throw, you know, out of the backfield to a running back, maybe throw to Pat Fryermuth, you know, as a safety valve, instead of taking off running like McSorley did. But at the same time, we've also heard that he had a faster 40 than, you know, McSorley did by the time McSorley was ready to leave. So, I mean, I'm not really sure what to expect there in terms of being a dual threat. And, and I think you mentioned a great point too with that the the need to sort of get those dump off passes into the into the passing game because you've got one of the most reliable tight ends of the nation in Pat Fryermuth you've got you know four talented running backs who will be like who are likely to rotate in and out this year and then you've got a talented wide receiver corps that can operate in space you've got guys like Jahan Dotson guys like KJ Hamlin who you can just sort of get them to the ball and let them go and you've got the deep threats to take advantage of Clifford's arm too it's just a matter of putting him in a position to succeed which brings me to the next point that you brought up and that's Ricky Ron. We really don't know what to expect there. Uh, last year was... Don't we? I mean, can we not just expect not good things? Well, yeah, and that's that's sort of the, you know, without improvement, that's probably what it's going to be after last season. There's no reason to, to believe that, you know, this is going to be a Penn State offense that's going to be where it was when Joe Moorhead was here. You know, it's not going to be terrible, I don't think. I mean, it's hard with that level of talent to be terrible, but the play calling puts them in bad situations sometimes. I can't tell you how many times I saw last year K.J. Hamler had two guys over the top, and they still sent him to try to go over the top because they wouldn't work the middle of the field with him. And that's something that, I mean, if I'm identifying it from, you know, from the TV at home, from watching a game, wherever, that, that you want the offensive coordinator to be able to identify and, and adjust from on the fly, and we didn't see it last year. We didn't see those halftime adjustments. A staple when Joe Moorhead was at Penn State, he would go into the half, and they would come out looking like a different team that is attacking the defense in new ways. And you didn't see that with Ricky Ron. And to me, that's a huge concern. You have to be going into the halves, sort of knowing what you're going to do, knowing what changes you're going to make, and knowing how you can take advantage of the defense. And I don't think we had that. Uh, you know, we, we saw that at all, uh, you know, especially from up above. And, and this is a question, uh, decision that I question too, is, is him watching games from up above. Uh, you really want to be down on the, on the field with your guys. You saw Moorhead was able to see the field better there. And I understand, you know, wanting to see that sort of all 22 view. Uh, but while you don't get the all 22 down on the field, you get human interaction. You see what your players need. You get the, the interaction with them saying, you know, hey, I was open on this. You can always look at the tablets. They have plenty of options to view these plays from down on the sidelines, but they're just not taking advantage of it because he's, you know, up in the box. And, and I think, honestly, that, 
that's a decision that that will probably you know change at some point if they don't find success you know because it's one of those sort of default things that offensive coordinators go to like oh I was up in the box I go on the field oh I was on the field I'll go up in the box but I just don't see I don't see a scenario where you know without him improving as a play caller and as a game planner that they succeed offensively this year and and like you said you had them you know, I believe at eight and four, and then that's where I settled at nine and three, only because I couldn't. Oh, for, I only couldn't identify a fourth loss. You know, you see the three obvious ones in Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, and then you're looking around. You're like, well, you know, maybe Purdue, maybe Indiana, but you just can't nail one down. And do I think eight and four is feasible? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to happen? Maybe, but right now I think the safe bet is on them getting the wins that they should in nine and then the losses that they should get is three. And, you know, maybe nine and three was the safe pick. And, you know, it seems like, you know, where most people are falling right now is somewhere in that seven to nine win range. And you know, that's not the expectations that Penn, that Penn State fans want. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that's the outcome this year. Well, well, well two things I'll say to that. And, and one is uh, it certainly seems like they're, they're set up for one heck of a 2020 season, you know, that this is kind of the, you know, the, the pregame before the, the, the real chance at a college football playoff berth, you know, begins. But, yeah, you know, this season, I, I'm not trying to hedge my bets here. I, I, I think that Penn State could realistically go 11-1 and one, or they could realistically go 6-6. Six and six. I mean, that's why you have so many people who aren't sure whether to even call Penn State overrated or underrated. There are so many variables, well, important variables. You know, and, and it starts at quarterback and, and Ricky Ronnie. And, you know, something I'll say about Ricky Ronnie, I still remember when, when James Franklin first came to Penn State and looking at every member of his staff, you know, doing some research, talking to people about each guy. And it's just funny, you know, kind of the first impressions. And I remember writing about Bob Shoup, you know, this guy, you know, he has a great track record. Players love him. You know, uh, his defenses are constantly ranked high. Like, you know, this guy's going to be a head coach someday. And then, you know, you, you saw John Donovan and Ricky Ronnie, and it's kind of like, yeah, these are the guys who you wouldn't really expect their bios and, you know, uh, a Penn State team. And, you know, Donovan obviously was, was let go. And, you know, James Franklin is, is loyal to his guys. But, I mean, obviously, listen, this is a great staff overall. I mean, uh, you just wrote another Penn State recruit, uh, you know, story yesterday. Uh, you know, Penn State's getting four-star running backs left and right, you know, thanks to Cider. Uh, you know, Sean Spence, I mean, you know, Spence is one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. Um, if not the best. I, I, you know, he's a great recruiter. The players love him. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrific, you know, and he's had some other good coaches come through like Josh Gaddis. But so, you know, I don't mean to, you know, blast, you know, the entire staff or James Franklin's decision-making when it comes to the staff. Joe Moorhead was a genius move, but I, I, I don't understand, you know, Ricky Ronnie yet. And, and maybe he proves me wrong this year and, you know, maybe, you know, fourth and five, there, there really was something there that, you know, if, if, you know, maybe Will Fries makes the block, it's an amazing play call. And, you know, like Franklin always says, Hey, if that works, he's a genius. And that's true, but it didn't work. And I just always think back to Joe Moorhead talking about in the Minnesota game, uh, was it was it 2016 when everything just kind of changed? You know, Penn State right before the half they tried a pass play, and I don't think it worked. But Joe Moorhead saw something in Minnesota's defense. So early in the second half, he called that exact same play again because he noticed something in the defense. 
And that play ended up going for a long touchdown that completely changed the face of Penn State's season. You know, I mean, that, 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 that was huge. And I just think if Ricky Ronnie was in that situation, do I think that it would have been the same result? And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but judging from we, what we've seen, I do think it would have been a different result. Yeah, I'm with you there. I don't think we would have seen, you know, the run that we, we saw at the end of that season. Uh, and, and I think you're, you're right to, you know, you know, sort of question what this team's offense is going to be. And I think it falls at Ronnie's feet. And it'll be interesting to see this year if he's able to, you know, grow as an offensive coordinator. Because in his defense, yes, last year was his first time full-time calling plays. But at the end of the day, you want to see more out of a guy who is chosen to be the offensive coordinator at Penn State. You don't want a guy who's necessarily a first-time play caller coming in, you know, a little timid. Uh, I, I think he needs to just own the offense, own that it's his now, add things to it, change it. You don't have to be Joe Moorhead. You have to be Ricky Ronnie, and you have to find a way to succeed that way. And I think if he can do that, he can put himself in a position to succeed. But until we see that, we don't know. Uh, but, you know, it, while the offense is, is a huge question, and you, you brought up another fantastic point, this defense is going to be dominant. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many will be better in the country. I can't imagine there are 10 better in the country. Uh, it's all three levels, too. They're they're fantastic. They've got one of the best uh, defensive ends in the country in Nitor Grossmontos. They've got one of the most talented linebackers in the country in Micah Parsons. And you've got, you know, a secondary that's very solid with two guys that are starting that seem to have stepped up this offseason and taken, taken hold of their starter roles. So what are you expecting from this defense as far as their ability to keep this offense, you know, from having to put up, you know, 52, uh, 55 points a game? I mean, this defense is elite. I mean, you mentioned there, there are stars at, at, at literally every level. And I think the only question mark we really had in the offseason was, you know, what's kind of going to happen to the inside, you know, at defensive tackle. But, you know, by the, by the end of camp, you know, James Franklin had said that they feel like they have six, you know, solid defensive tackles that, that, that they can turn to. And, you know, the depth here is uh, – it's just improved tremendously since Franklin got here. I don't know if you remember – Franklin's first year, uh, you know, this is offense now, but, you know, just goes to speak to the depth as a whole. The offensive line couldn't field more than yeah. one unit at the blue-white game. They had to, you know, switch jerseys, you know, between series, which, you know, is just crazy. You go from that to, you know, now they, they, they have the recruits. I mean, you, you, you look at, I mean, at, at safety, there was really a, a three-way battle for one starting spot opposite Garrett Taylor between Lamont Wade, uh, Sutherland and uh, Jaquan Brisker and looks like even though Wade won that job it looks like Brisker is going to get some time too you know Sutherland still you know is expected to see some time on the field and certainly contribute on special teams you know there's there's not really a lot of bad things to say about this defense I mean the 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 quote-unquote weakness is I guess defensive tackle but you look at that I mean you know PJ Mustafer has made tremendous strides and right now he's the backup you know, Robert Windsor is maybe the biggest unsung hero in the Big Ten when it comes to the defensive line. He doesn't get a lot of publicity, doesn't get a lot of attention, but he's solid, he's consistent, he's a big guy, and, you know, he could surprise this season. So, you know, right now Antonio Shelton's starting alongside him, but, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. And that's not even to mention Damian Barber. I want to make sure, I always confuse Des Holmes and Damian Barber. Uh, <laughs> but, but you, know, you know, Damian Barber, Antonio Shelton has says that, had said that, you know, he just breaks guys in half at practice. You know, the big problem there is just he needs to be consistent at it. But, I mean, the talent here is mind-boggling. This should be the best defense that James Franklin has had since he's gotten here. And it's also the main reason why I'm 
kind of sort of only confident in my season prediction because, yeah, I mean, I think this defense could have the ability to save this entire team's putt this year. And, you know, Penn State could maybe end up winning some games that, you know, the offense tries its best to lose. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Damian Barber, and that's a guy that's gone through a huge transfer, transformation Excuse me, since he got on campus. We're talking about a guy that was clear defensive end, and all of a sudden he's added a ton of weight. He looks like a legitimate defensive tackle now. He looks like he's going to play inside. So it'll be interesting to see how much he can crack into the rotation this year. But you mentioned, too, the post-sanctions rosters and, you know, the, the lack of depth. I think that really shows up at linebacker, you know, this year. We're, we, we see a team where, yes, Lance Dixon and Brandon Smith are green-lighted to play as true freshmen, but it's because of their ability and not because they have to. So now you've got two guys that are in a legitimate position to succeed, and they may only be playing on special teams, but to be, you know, that level of talent and only playing on special teams is a good sign for Penn State right now, considering who was starting at linebacker back in those days. And, you know, there, there are some questions in the middle with Jan Johnson. He's solid, but he lacks uh, athleticism. You know, he's, he's usually going to be in the right position, but sometimes he's not going to get there quick enough. Uh, and I think if you're a Penn State fan, you want to see, you know, Ellis Brooks take that job by the end of the year because it, it's one, better for the program long-term because Brooks will be there longer. And two, you have the more athletic guy in there and you want the more athletic guy to be better and to earn that spot. And, and I think on the outsides, you know, with Cam Brown and with Micah Parsons starting, you know, that's a really, really solid duo to have on the outside. And you're going to see Parsons blitzing, I'm sure, a ton. He came in as a pass rusher. It's what he does best. And, you know, he, he has incredible instincts that allows for him to make up for some of his slower reaction times on occasion, although it seems like those have improved too. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him. Uh, I think he's got a chance to make an enormous leap this year to, you know, to potentially be an All-American. Uh, and, and you've got a, a group of three that even with the weaknesses in the middle, you've got enough athleticism on the outside. And this team goes to 4-2-5 so much that you might just see Cam Brown and Micah Parsons out there alone and no Mike linebacker. And you see an extra sa uh, safety that you mentioned brought on, you know, that star position that they love. You know, it could be Jaquan Brisker. It could be Lamont Wade uh, dropping down into it with, you know, Sutherland, you know, uh, going over the top. But they're in a position to, to play with that defensively and sort of maximize themselves with only going two linebackers and, and what used to be an incredibly weak position is now still very strong because they've done such a good job of building the roster depth. See, I'll, I'll say one, one of the things I'm most looking forward to at the, the Idaho game is because you remember Cam Brown was ejected in the, the bowl game. He needs to miss the first half of Idaho and who's penciled in to, to replace Cam Brown for at least that first half Luketta. And, you know, from all the reports we've heard from his teammates and from camp, you know, he has made tremendous strides since last year. I think, uh, who was it, uh, the strength coach Dwight Gall, I think at one point said he's like, yeah, last year, uh, you know, Lucetta, like uh, Michael Parsons was, was 1A and Lucetta was like 4C. And he said now it's 1A, 1B. You know, he said that, you know, those two have pushed each other a lot. I think it helps a lot that Jesse Lucetta and Michael Parsons are roommates. Parsons is, is rubbing off a little bit on Lucetta in a good way. And, you know, I mean, this guy has a lot of potential. I mean, he is, he is 247 pounds. You know, even after this year, he still has two more years of eligibility on top of that. This guy is going to be a starter eventually. You know, so, I mean, that's the thing here, too. If you go through Penn State's roster, this is still a young team. And, and, and not just on defense, but, you know, you go through it like, you know, Ellis Brooks, I think he's, he's a, a redshirt sophomore, I want to say. And, you know, you talk about leadership, you know, when Jan Johnson, you know, leaves, uh, you know, after this year, I mean, he's a, he's a fifth year senior, you know, Brooks went to military school where, 
I mean, I, I, I can't, I mean, you know, my brother was in the Air Force. I can't tell you all the, the, the rankings, but, you know, of lieutenant and all that. But I know Ellis Brooks was, was up there. You know, he was respected. You know, he was a leader even in high school. And, you know, I remember talking to him, you know, when he was 18 years old. And, I mean, my goodness, uh, he, he, he sounded like he was 30 years old already. You know, uh, you know he's, he's a special human being. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reason for fans to be excited. I just don't know if this is the year. But certainly on defense, you know, it, it sure looks that way. Yeah, and, and it's a defense that shouldn't lose a ton going into next year. I mean, obviously, I think we're both expecting Etor Grossmatos to not be on the 2020 team. If he is, something went horribly wrong because he should be a top 10 pick in this coming year's draft uh, if all goes well. This is true. Uh, and, and so they're going to be in a position again, though, to, to reload defensively and still be a top 10 to 15 unit. And like you mentioned, well, you know, it's tough to look ahead that far. I think 2020 is a season that Penn State fans need to look forward to. Uh, and, you know, enjoy this season, enjoy the, the growing pains that come with it, but know that there are brighter things to come in 2020, especially if Clifford, you know, has a year under his belt. Now, of course, could he do what Dwayne Haskins did at Ohio State last year and, you know, have a, a massive one year as a starter and leave right yeah, let's, away? Let's not get ahead of ourselves <laughs> hey, here, John. I'm just That's... saying it's possible. We're just talking about the realm of possibilities here. Yeah, and it maybe, maybe a 1% rushes for 2,000 yards <laughs> and, you know, Penn State wins the national championship. I mean, listen, I like Clifford a lot, but I don't think the guy's going to throw for 50 touchdowns either, like, I, which I don't think you do either. I mean, right. so – yeah, no, I think let's limit the hyperbole. <laughs> I think we're just looking at a, a team that you know has enough talent where they could surprise, like you mentioned, and eleven and one really isn't that crazy. But neither is six and six, just because there's there's a wide range of outcomes here, and you're looking at a team that has so much talent that just isn't ready yet. And I think 2020 is going to be something to to really look forward to uh, for a lot of Penn State fans. But, but sort of to, to look at, you know, what we're expecting this season, uh, we did some breakouts, uh, predictions. We did some offensive, defensive MVP predictions for, for a story on the site. Of course, you can check it out at senderdaily.com. But uh, I believe you chose Jason Oway as your breakout player. Oh, yeah. I, to that, I mean, that, that's definitely cheating. It's like picking, like, you know, a quarterback as your, you know, team MVP. You, you call me out for that one because Sean Clifford was my offensive MVP. Oh, no, I forgot who you picked, but, yeah, that was totally a cop-out. Absolutely. Hey, every, everybody gets one. You well, yeah, and I took mine with Oway. I mean, listen, the, the, the only thing that makes me slightly nervous with Oway, and it has nothing to do with Oway, is just that there's so much depth at defensive end. I mean, that's Penn State's strongest position that, you know, how much is he going to play? You know, in order to be a breakout, in order to put up the stats – you obviously need the opportunity. Now, he's good enough that he's going to play no matter what. But, you know, I do wonder how many snaps he's going to get. Uh, you know, you go back to Carl Nassib, you know, the year that, you know, he broke, broke out and, you know, smashed all these records. You know, he didn't get a lot of snaps compared to, like, say, a Joey Bosa. It was just that he was so dominant when he was in there. You know, he, had, he did not have a, a lot of snaps compared to the average Big Ten starter. It didn't matter. But, you know, then, you know, I look at a guy like jo Jason Oway, like, you know, I'm excited. Uh, last year, you know, if you'll remember, there were, you know, on, on passing downs, Penn State would sometimes go with, you know, four defensive ends, you know, rushing, you know, that, having that pass rush. And when Penn State does something like that again this year, when Oway's in the package, uh, that's going to be scary. You know, when you have Gross Matos and Oway and Tony, I mean, those are three guys who can – you know, get to the quarterback in, in, in no time at all. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's we, – we asked a bunch of players, hey, who do you think is going to be the breakout? 
And I would say like probably close to half of them said Oway. So, you know, like I'm not the genius here who's picking Jason <laughs> Oway. I, you know, I, I know to go to people smarter than me, the players see him every day and the players is essentially a consensus. They all think he's poised to break out. And, and who am I to argue with them? Yeah, and, you know, that's that's all valid. And like you mentioned, the, the lack of snaps could get in the way because of the depth. But, again, it's a situation where he could be so dominant on those snaps, like you said, that it might not and matter. Can, can we take this moment, too, to remind everyone that the guy runs a 4-3 or in the 4-3? Is it 4-3-4? I believe so. And I believe he also made Bruce Feldman's uh, 50 freaks list. Yeah, he and Michael Parsons, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's just – what he does is, I, I, I mean, the guy, the guy is incredible. He moves like he's a running back or a wide receiver, and he's, you know, strong like an ox. It's, I mean, you know, he, he's still very raw, but, I mean, geez, you do not have to be a you know, professional NFL scout to see this guy's potential. Yeah, and, you know, he's, he's got a ton of potential, like you said, and he's a guy who, thanks to the new uh, redshirt rules, actually has recorded stats already, even though, you know, he's technically a freshman this year. And, uh, he, you know, I believe he finished with uh, three sacks or two sacks in the Kent State game last year. Just a guy with an unbelievable ability to rush the passer and to get to the quarterback, and that athleticism is so ridiculous. And even with all of that said, I still didn't choose him as my breakout huh. because I only chose my one comp out with Sean Clifford. Well, well, well let me ask you, though, with – uh, with Oway, do you think there are there's any chance that he wins Big Ten Freshman of the Year? I mean, you you, ha- you have to go back to Dion Barnes and what was that like 2014? Or am I really off? I think you're right around there, somewhere uh, in that area. It was the early 20 teens. Yeah, you know, but I mean, you know, Dion Barnes was a was a redshirt freshman that you know came in, had a bunch of sacks, you know, made an impact, and and you know, I wonder if if that can't be Oway this year. Yeah, it was 2012 was the year you were looking for. It's only two off, not too shabby. But yeah, yeah, Oway could have that, legitimately have that kind of impact. And it's funny, you know, he he redshirted last year. Is there a chance he even gets to use that redshirt? Like, if all goes well, he's probably gone before he gets to, you know, that that fifth, maybe even that fourth Uh, year on campus. I don't know. I mean, just because he's going to see limited time this year, you know, again, he's not going to be a full-time starter like Gross Matos. Um, Or at least he isn't expected to at this point. Maybe that changes. Well, in the the next year, but the thing is, next year is the first year he can leave for the draft. Yeah, I have two words for you as a redshirt sophomore leaving if you have one year starting Aaron Maben very true very true although Aaron Maben did make plenty of money going in the top 10 ah uh, this is true but as a Buffalo Bills fan I would you know like to forget this draft so let's move on here John yeah let's let's move on to my uh, my breakout pick and I went with not a comp out at breakout like I did offensive MVP and you did a breakout uh, and I went with Jahan Dotson and uh, I, I think he's got a chance to be you know, with the, the attention that K.J. Hamler is going to draw this year, with the attention that if he's healthy, Justin Shorter will see on the outside, you know, Johnson has a chance to work the middle of the field in a way that could lead to him being the team's leading reception – or lead the team in receptions, I should say. He's one of the best on the team at working the middle of the field. He's a fantastic route runner, has really good hands, never tested well athletically, but looks faster than what he actually – timed out at which you know never made a lot of sense uh but he he's going to be a guy that contributes quite a bit this year and I think with his ability to play inside and outside and Hamler's ability to play inside and outside you're going to see him get a lot of target opportunities and I think the biggest thing that could get in the way of that is Pat Fryermuth more than anything because he's also going to live in the middle of the field uh I, I think there's a strong chance so that Dotson goes into the middle of the field and dominates early this year and we see him take that step uh, and, and I know a lot of people want this to be Justin Shorter because he was so highly touted coming in. 
I just think Dotson is so ready to produce right away and so versatile already that you're going to see him, you know, light it up with this Penn State offense in part because of, you know, KJ Hamler's ability to stretch the field and open up the middle for him. Okay. Well, well do me a favor, rank, including tight ends, uh, Penn State's best three receiving targets. Not necessarily who's going to get the most receptions, right. but just best one, two, three. So, oh, that's tough. I will go Hamler at one. I think that seems pretty obvious, and that that is the obvious answer. Uh, and I know some will disagree with me on this, but I will go Dotson to Fryermuth three. Oh yeah, I would disagree with you because Going with Dotson over Fryermuth, who might be an All American. Correct, and I think part of that is part of the value in Fryermuth is his blocking ability, which obviously is fantastic and not accounted for in this scenario. But uh, you know, we're, you're looking at a guy who just doesn't have the sort of versatility as a receiver. He's more reliable. He can break tackles because he's big and strong. He can high point balls in the corner of the end zone but he's not going to stretch the field like Dotson can. I think there's more that Dotson can bring to a game where Frymuth is better at what he does, but he just doesn't have those, that sort of, you know, the, the athleticism to be, you know, the level of a wide receiver. And I, I think, you know, while Frymuth might be more reliable uh, and while, while he might be, you know, see more targets even and see more of those four to five yard dump offs, uh, Dotson's ability to create in, in the open field is going to matter quite a bit. And I think it makes him, you know, a, a better receiver, uh, you know, at least for this year. And, you know, obviously we, you know, talk about who's a better overall player. I think that's Friday pretty clearly just because he's such a fantastic blocker already and he is so reliable. But I think if we're talking strictly as a receiver, I think Dotson has the edge there. And just to let our readers know, if you want to tell John how wrong he is, <laughs> his email is jsauber, J-S-A-U-B-E-R at sandradaily.com. So, you know, just a reminder there, we'll, we'll watch some Friday film after this and, you know, see if you still think the same way. But no, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's an interesting way to go. Uh, you know, I, I get what you're saying with Firemuth. I mean, I, after number two, I don't know who I would go with because I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen enough from Shorter yet. You know, Shorter is still kind of the wild card of, of, of these receivers. And, you know, actually, I mean, you know, we, we talked about all the question marks before and, you know, receiver is one that it's easy to gloss over just because, I mean, there's still so much talent and everyone, it seems, is a four or five star guy. But I mean, I think that's one place special teams and receiver might be where they made the biggest strides this offseason. I, I think Jared Parker has done you know, great for them. David Corley was just a train wreck wait, waiting, waiting to happen. I mean, he came in really fault Corley. He, he was not set up to succeed as a receivers coach. He was initially hired as a running backs coach. But you know, I think everything is much better now. You know, the confidence is getting back. So so, yeah, you know, so I, I've seen more of Dodson. I'm more comfortable with him. But, man, I don't even think I can answer my own question, John. I'm just going one-two at this we, point. We were talking cop-outs. That's the ultimate cop-out. Not even answering. Oh. You know, come on, you give me a third. Oh. All right. I'm all not right. letting you leave without giving me a third. Ah, uh, boy. Uh, who am I going with? Well, uh, I guess I shouldn't go with a running back. That would be cheap, too, you know, if we're going with three uh, targets. Uh, hmm. I'm fine with you going with a running back. <laughs> no, that would not be a good idea. <laughs> I'm just trying to think out loud. I'm just trying to buy some time to think here. But you know what? Then I, I am going to go with shorter. You know, he is six foot four. He's going to be a good target. I mean, it's it's just – I think he's kind of almost uh, uh, the epitome of, of Penn State football this season. You know, a lot of people think he's going to do really well. There's a lot of keys to succeed or a lot of tools to succeed there. But, you know, there's always those lingering question marks, you know, and in Shorter's case it's – you know, injury experience, uh, you know, just, just, you know, things like that. So 
you know, I'm, I'm going to go with shorter just because I, I did not appreciate you putting, you know, Dotson ahead of Fryer. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it's not my fault that, you know, Donson has more versatility there. I can't make Fryermuth faster. I can't make him more agile. And I'm, please, Pat, don't listen to this uh, also. But, yeah, I just, I, you know, he's just not, he's not a playmaker. He's not going to, you know, get in the open field and make Fryermuth something happen. Isn't a playmaker? He's, he's not a legitimate. Do, do, tree. Does catching the ball count for nothing right. in your eyes? Oh, absolutely it does. And like I said, I think he's a far more reliable target. I just like don't see a guy who's going to catch the ball and make something happen. I, I think we see that with Dotson. I think he's got that shiftiness that helps him. He's not Hamler. He's never going to be Hamler. KJ Hamler is a, a human joystick. You know, it's his nickname for a reason. He is, he is that good in the open field. But I think Dotson can be a very, very good player in the open field because he's shifty, because he can create a little separation for himself. Uh, and make something happen. But, you know, you know, moving on from this, this pass catcher debate, uh, I think there's, there's one more position group that we should look at that you mentioned in passing early that I think is going to have a major impact on the team this year, and that's the offensive line. Uh, we don't know what to expect right now. Uh, I mean, I don't anyways. You might. If, in, I, if, I mean, I think the offensive line gets, gets a bad rap for last season. And and that's something that, you know, Ricky Ronnie has said that, that I actually agree with him on. I mean, you know, we can find some common ground, Ricky and I. Uh, <laughs> but I, I know when you look at it on the surface, you know, two guys left for the NFL, how can they possibly be better? But, you know, you look at the stats last season. And if you look at football outsiders uh, against the uh, – when it comes to, to run blocking, um, Penn State was one of the 25 best in the country when you look at it that way. Uh, when it comes to seeing how many yards the offensive line is responsible for on a run, which is what football outsiders tries to calculate. Uh, I want to say Penn State was, you know, maybe number 18 in the country. But when you looked at pass blocking, they were one of the worst. And I wonder how much of that, you know, them being bad. I, I remember still a, a week nine stat from Pro Football Focus where they said on 34% of, of Trace McSorley's dropbacks, he felt pressure which was one of the worst rates in the country. And, you know, part of me wonders, well, did McSorley hold on, you know, hold on to the ball a little bit longer last year because the receivers couldn't get separation because David Corley was their receivers coach? Or, you know, was it just they, they, they just did not have that technique? And honestly, maybe it's all of the above. But, you know, Penn State said they, they, they brought in some NFL guys this year. They've done some te technique things. They would not tell us what those technique things are. I mean, hell, they wouldn't even tell us Sean Clifford was the starter until Friday. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they allegedly fixed those things. You know, uh, Rashid Walker certainly looks the part. You know, uh, James Franklin was just saying how he could have played, you know, last season as a true freshman a lot. But, I mean, I, I think they're going to be fine there and, and, and not miss that much. I mean, they've got more depth. They've got, you know, three or four offensive guards that can rotate in. I just – I don't think it's going to be a drop off like like people think. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it'll be a drop off. My main concern is going to be at right tackle this year. Uh, you know, we saw some really up and down play from Will Fries last year, and you know, you mentioned that fourth. But, I mean, he's got to be better though, right? You'd hope if you're a Penn State fan, because if he's not, then he's probably not starting, or this offense has gone in the tank very quickly. Uh, if if he doesn't gain some consistency, because you did see flashes of you know him looking like a good starting Big Ten offensive lineman. But, you know, until he does it consistently, who knows? But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned fourth and five from Ohio State. If he picks up the stunt, Miles Sanders is probably standing in the end zone. And I know that's a soft spot for most Penn State fans, but it's the truth. Uh, Fries missed that block. And, you know, even if it was a bad play call, there was an opening to make something happen there. And it didn't happen because of it. 
Uh, you know, and, and I worry about that right side of the offensive line. I actually, you know, I'm a big fan of Rasheed Walker's game. He's got the perfect frame for left tackle. He doesn't look like he's carrying 324 pounds. He's just a monstrous human being. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's going to struggle early, but that's what you play Idaho and Buffalo for, you know, you to, to let Rasheed Walker get his feet wet and then dive fully in afterward. Uh, so I think they're going to be fine at left tackle. It's just, you know, a matter of getting right tackle sorted out. And then, like you mentioned, there's, there's probably four guys for those three interior spots and, and there, there should be enough there to be a good rotation. And I think it basically all comes at the end of the day down to Will Fries and what he can do next year. Uh, I think Pat Frymuth can help with that, actually. You line him up next to Fries a little bit, get him a little bit of help there. But, of course, then you're taking away as, a, you know, Pat, the reliable receiver, and you're relying him on him more as a blocker. But, you know, there, there are opportunities to mask fries at the very least. And who knows, maybe Des Holmes overtakes him by midseason. But. Or maybe we see, you know, two running backs in the backfield, you know, a little bit more. I mean, if you look at Penn State's depth chart, the, the most curious thing to me, it wasn't surprising, but it was curious in that we haven't seen Franklin do this before. Running back, there were three oars. Whenever it's between two guys, you'll see, oh, you know, who's starting at, at guard, is it? you know, Thorpe or, or Miranda, you'll see Thorpe or Miranda. At running back, it was Ricky Slade or Journey Brown or Noah Kane or Devin Ford. I mean, it looks like Slade, well, Slade is going to start the game, but they're already anticipating getting all four guys, including the two true freshmen, carries, um, you know, in that, in that opener. And, you know, that might be something that we see for the rest, you know, of the year. And, and that's something that Cider – uh, I'm sorry if I'm switching gears here a little bit, but but I think this is uh, this is an interesting aspect of of Penn State's offense, and it's something that Sider, uh, the running backs coach, is is, is very familiar with. Um, if you look at his past, he has consistently had you know three full running backs. I think when he was at West Virginia, when they had Russell Shell, uh, I want to say that four running backs all had at least 40 carries or more. You know, this guy knows how to spread the ball around. I just hope. It's not like, you know, the, the school that shall not be named Rutgers from a few years ago <laughs> when, you know, you'd see who was clearly their best running back. You know, maybe they would have a three and out and then, oh, the next series has got to be the next running back uh, who would do nothing. So, I mean, Penn State, obviously, uh, I would think uh, much smarter than Rutgers. Uh, most teams in the FBS are. So I, I wouldn't expect that to happen. But I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see those four running backs competing against one another. And and I really do like Noah Kane a lot. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you've got four backs, you would expect a lot of overlap. They're, they really all do bring a different skill set to the table. Uh, Ricky Slade's more of an all-purpose back. You can, you know, slot him outside, you know, as a slot receiver, you can move him around and sort of get the ball in his hands. Journey Brown is a ton of straight line speed, uh, you know, would think it would translate, especially in the open field, to a lot of screen game, a lot of just getting him the ball to the I edge. I mean, he did have the high school game where he ran for 722 yards. Which still doesn't feel like a real thing. I remember when I read that, I was like, oh, man, that's a pretty massive typo. It wasn't. But anyways, uh, you mentioned Noah Kane. He's, he's, a, he's a grown man as a true freshman. You know, he's going to bull guys over. He's a big, strong, physical back and run between the tackles, runs hard. Uh, it seems like he's always falling forward. And then you have Devin Ford, who, you know, is, is the lightest. He's, you know, 5'11", 194 coming in uh, as a true freshman. I, I think he might be the most talented of the bunch. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a chance to be, I think, and this was almost my, uh, my fearless prediction that I went with over, you know, Jahan Dotson leading the team in receptions. I think Devon, uh, Devin Ford, excuse me, might lead this team in carries by the end of the year and lead this team in touches uh, on a per-game basis. You know, we look at those last four games down the stretch. 
I think he's the most talented. I think he can be effective in the return game. I think he can be effective in the passing game. I think can, he can run the ball incredibly well. Uh, and, and he's just got to learn to block, which, I mean, most high school kids do. They're not asking. I, I, say, I, I, I think that's, that's a bold prediction, just considering he got here so late. Right. You know, that's a lot for a true freshman, especially with as talented a running back room as this is, to see time on the field enough in the beginning that he's going to end up leading – you know, the team in any stat category, even if it is on a per game basis. Uh, but I mean, you're, you're a Devin Ford guy. I guess I'm more Noah Kane. I mean, Noah Kane has really, you know, watched his snap count, or I should say his coaches have watched his snap count since he was in high school because they knew, you know, this kid had a future, but at the same token, the way he's built, I mean, you know, his high school coach, James Franklin, you know, Sider, they've all said, you know, this is a guy who, if we ask him to, could handle, you know, 20, 30 plus carries a game. I mean, he's built like that. And, you know, we only saw a little bit in the blue-white game, but the way he was falling forward, the way he was hitting the holes quickly, I mean, it was, you know, it was impressive. You need to obviously watch what you're projecting from the blue-white game, but it wasn't his stats. It was his playing style that I think really impressed a lot of people. And, and I think having four options like this is sort of the, uh, the optimal backfield nowadays. You see most analytically oh, inclined teams want to split these carries up. And I think it's best for the kids, too, in their futures because the, the fewer touches you have going into the NFL, the better off you are because, you know, you have a chance to have a longer career. You're not, you know, burnout out by the time you get there. Uh, I, but I, I, it, to me, with Devin Ford, it just comes down to I think he's got the most talent. And I think he's that talented that, you know, he, while Noah Kane had the head start from being on campus what, six, seven months, you know, prior to, prior to Ford, I think Ford is just, you know, not that much better, but that much more skilled and that much more of a, a home run hitter uh, that I think, you know, they, they find themselves going to him uh, more frequently. And, and while Kane is very good between the tackles, I think, you know, when you want to go to an up-tempo offense, you want to go to a spread it out offense that you're going to rely on Devin Ford a little bit more to get, you know, those big plays. And, you know, he can run between the tackles too. This is, while he is, you know, only 194, which is lighter than Ricky Slade's currently listed at and Slade's two inches shorter. Uh, I, I think he's strong enough to, to handle a workload right now that, you know, can see him hitting that level by the end of the year where he's leading the team in touches per game. And, you know, I, uh, I think he's got a legitimate chance to be the, the best running back of this group. And I think he is the best running back in this group long-term. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to ask uh, what I think is interesting. I mean, you, you just wrote a story uh, the other day about a uh, four-star running back who committed, you know, alluded to it earlier. How are they still getting running backs like this? And this is their second four-star running back of the class. No one is leaving after this year. I mean, you know, if you're committing to Penn State right now as a four-star running back, I mean, you best get used to being a fifth-string running back next year. I mean, the only guy who's even eligible – for the NFL draft would be Journey Brown. He's a redshirt sophomore. And as much as I like Journey, I don't think he's going to the pros next season. So you're going to have all four guys back, you know, maybe one transfers for whatever reason. But I mean, that's still a heck of a depth chart to try to break into. Why are these guys still, uh, still committing to Penn State? Jawan Sider and Saquon Barkley. Those <laughs> names, you know, carry a lot of weight. If you, you know, both uh, running back commits, Keziah Holmes and Kevon Lee are both from Florida, uh, where Cider does most of his damage in recruiting. He's fantastic down there, has a ton of great relationships. Uh, but, you know, they see guys like Saquon Barkley, and they, they want to sort of, you know, go to the place where he found that success. And with Keziah Holmes, who I spoke to when he committed, you know, mentioned, you know, he didn't come to Penn State. He's not going to Penn State, I should say, just because of 
you know, Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley, but he saw what they can do and he thinks he can do it and said if he puts the time and effort in, maybe he could even be better. And so you have that to pitch to kids to tell them that they can be Saquon Barkley, who was a top five pick on draft, or Miles Sanders, who only started for one year and went in the second round of the draft. Uh, and, and you're looking, you know, at, at kids that – that one of those are the guys they're looking up to now, you know, they're, that's their, I guess their sort of hero range, you know, age guys, uh, you know, Saquon may not be that old. I believe him and I are the same age, which is frightening for me on a level of success. But uh, you know, he, he, he's a guy that the kids that age that are 16, 17 look up to and, and they're able to pitch that to recruits and it works well for them. And the two guys that have committed in Kazai Holmes and Kevon Lee both fill very different roles. Uh, Lee a little bit closer to Noah Kane with more versatility uh, while Kazai Holmes is a little bit like Ricky Slade can do it all out of the backfield and be a, a major weapon. So, you know, like you said, maybe we see someone transfer at the end of the year. Maybe we see someone move on for whatever reason. But there's no reason to believe that this running back room is going to get any worse anytime soon. They just – they keep reloading every single year. And and I think part of it is when you can pitch to a kid that he's going to be one of four that is with the or next to their name and getting touches – you have no reason not to go there. It's best for your long-term prospects. And maybe you win the job and you win the Heisman because you're, you know, in that room. And, you know, I think a lot of kids see that they're no longer intimidated by the competition. Rather, they see it as being better for themselves in the future. It is pretty crazy to me to think, I mean, Saquon Barkley, you know, spent three years here, you know, left for the NFL. And I mean, hell, you know, five, 10 years from now, Penn State's still going to be reaping the benefits of having recruited this kid and, you know, have him play at Penn State, which is just, you know, it's for me, it's new territory uh, just because when you think when is the last time that Penn State kind of had an exciting, you know, skilled player, you know, to watch in the NFL. I mean, certainly not in the uh, the stratosphere of, you know, Saquon Barkley, who is already arguably, you know, his second year hasn't even started yet in the regular season. And there are already analysts like Maurice Jones-Drew, the former Jaguars running back, believe that Barkley is the best running back in the NFL. Yeah, and so, I, don't, I don't think that's far-fetched at all. I, oh, either do I. I mean, he – I know I'll be taking him at 1-1 in fantasy oh, drafts this year. Ditto. Without I mean, question. Uh, I mean, he, but you're right. Like, the, the dividends can be paid for so long when you have a guy like that who's a legitimate transcendent superstar. He's not just someone that they recognize on the field. He has a brand. You know, he is the brand of Saquon Barkley, and that, that sells for years at Penn State. And uh, just for a housekeeping note, I was wrong. He's two years younger than me, which makes me feel <laughs> – way worse uh but you know moving on from from the the you know uh guys of the past and uh looking at these position groups let's let's talk about the the week one opponent here who should uh do we do we have to i mean it's, yeah it's, it's idaho it's it's tough their, their, uh, their nickname is the vandals the end and yeah, states should beat them by seven touchdowns that's about as good of a summary as you're going to get anywhere uh, i just like the only way that this game is close is if something goes horribly wrong and if this game is somehow close then Penn State is in huge trouble. This needs to be, like you yeah. said, a a, a multi-touchdown victory. If they go out there and they beat FCS Idaho by 10, then the questions start flying about Clifford because – I mean, the questions only... do, but, I mean, I go back to – I remember, what was it, the Citadel that, that hung with yes. Alabama for the first half? And, I mean, we've we've seen stuff like this happen before, you know. And, and you know, James Franklin tries to take it, you know, one game at a time, which, you know, okay, fine, whatever. Um you know, it's, it's cliche, but it certainly worked for him, um, you know, these last few years. But, you know, with that mentality, you know, even if Penn State would, you know, come against these guys flat, I understand why people would be worried. And certainly, you know, with the lack of a finisher's mentality last year. But I mean, I just think it's hitting the panic button way too, you know, way too quickly, even if they don't do well. 
you know, against Idaho and only win by 10, I'm still not ready to, you know, use that as an example for the rest of the season. I get how tempting that would be. And I don't even necessarily think that you'd be wrong in the end, but I mean, this, uh, for all intents and purposes, I, I would say Penn State fans should treat this like a preseason game and, you know, maybe, you know, drink a few more beverages in the parking lot <laughs> to, to make, you know, the, the game go by a little bit quicker. Yeah, and, and I think that's a fair assessment. I think the questions would uh, – the issue would be more the questions that could arise from that because if you put yourself in that situation, Sean Clifford's probably not playing well. And if your quarterback's confidence is shot, then, you know, you're probably going to be in a – you know, a not great position heading forward, uh, you know, even though it is Buffalo next and, and then Pitt after that, you you still want to, you want to take care of business and you want to put yourself in a position to succeed and to go into those games with real confidence. Because if you go in and you, you know, you're a young team and you are dejected because you only win by, you know, 14 over Idaho, I think that could cause problems down the road, uh, you know, because it isn't a veteran team, uh, you know, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I think like, like you said, this, this game is probably not going to be close. There's not much of a chance of Idaho even hanging around. I would venture a guess that is well beyond double digits uh, that we will actually get to, uh, you know, uh, on the site. There, we will there have should, our there'll be a running clock in the second half, right? That's how this works. I hope so. <laughs> now, I would like to go home. <laughs> I, I joke, but I mean, hey, blue-white game has a running clock. You know, I think this game should too. Everyone would be much happier. But, you now, I mean, if fans are going to watch one player, I would just say the quarterback, you know, Mason Petrino. Um, that name should, you know, certainly sound familiar. Uh, you know, the head coach is, is Paul Petrino, who's, you know, been there, what I want to say for maybe about six seasons now. It sounds about right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Petrino, you know, last year he can, he can do things with his legs a little bit. Uh, you know, he can do things through the air. And if you look at upsets, you know, the, the, the big upsets, upsets that, you know, you know, what would it take for Idaho to beat Penn State? You know, that 0.01% chance that it actually happens. Uh, it's always been because the quarterback absolutely goes off. When, you know, Cam Newton's younger brother, when he had the amazing upset two seasons ago where they were, what, maybe eight touchdown underdogs and came, you know, and, yep. and won, it was because he put up these insane numbers. You know, uh, uh, you could go down the list and it's something along the lines of, you know, more than 400 passing yards, more than 100 rushing yards, you know, touchdowns that you can't count on one hand. I mean, so for, for Idaho to, to really have a chance at this game, uh, it's got to begin and end with, with quarterback Mason Petrino. Yep. That being said, I am not anticipating 500 passing yards and 200 rushing yards, but if Penn State's going to lose, that's how it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Uh, it, it tends to be the quarterback play that carries these performances. Uh, for the the underdog sort of teams, uh, and like you said, Petrino's a, a a good enough coach, but I don't I don't see them, you know, doing what Scott Satterfield came in uh, and did last year with App State and putting a scare into Penn State. Uh, well, they were a good team at right. least, absolutely. Idaho was four and seven last year in the yep. FCS. Yep, and and that's where I mean it would be it would be a total stunner this year if if Idaho comes in and puts up much of a fight against Penn State. Uh, but, you know, like I said, we'll have our official predictions up on the site in the coming days. You can expect those before kick kickoff. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to pick Penn State to win. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't Can't give that away podcast. here. <laughs> we'll have no. final scores so you'll know what, you know, whether we think you should bet on the spread or not. Yeah. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, this was, this was a lot of fun, Josh. I, I really enjoyed, you know, our, our first episode here. I you know, uh, I hope you guys enjoy listening to us. And, and for John Sauber and uh, 
Wow. Yeah, hot start here for John Sauber on the closeout. For Josh Moyer. You're doing so well, John. <laughs> you, you ruined it all, really. Yeah, you know, now Let, let's start the whole podcast I would, over again. I would say I would cut this, but I'm going to leave it in for the audience so they can get the enjoyment out of it. But for Josh Moyer, uh, I'm John Sauber. Thank you for listening to the Aaron It Out podcast, and have a great day.